Rightio. G'day everyone and welcome back to what is yet another episode of the Zane Red and White podcast. If you happen to have listened previously, welcome back and thank you. And if this is your first time here, welcome. And what do we do here? We talk all things Swannies. Well, wasn't that a heartbreaker in more ways than one? So I'm just going to jump into it this week, just quickly lay the land, going to go over the game on how it played out to my eye and just reflect on some stats, individuals, team, and lastly, have a quick look at the possible selection for next week for the gathering up. Well, that was one hotly contested game, I must say, especially early. We still lead the competition, surprisingly, in pressure points for the league, averaging 188, even after that first quarter against Melbourne when we were well off down to below 150, I think, even at stages. But So for it to average out to still be 188, good signs. And we started fast with a pressure rating of 197, which is elite. But tip it a hat to the old port, they came out with a pressure not only matching, but surpassing us with 224. And in a game where a lot of eyes were on Laddam, where a lot of eyes were on Laddams because of he'd seemed to have turned the ball over a lot previously, but not only that, it was back against his own old team in Port, where last time they really got inside his head and he just gave away free kicks and threw away the game pretty much, to be honest. But this time round, he was switched on and it started with a great spoil and then down the line getting a goal, which, which was great to see him get early, which would help his confidence, no doubt. Port still got into him a lot throughout the game, but what I noticed this time more so was the boys came in and flew the flag for him, which I can't say I did notice last time. So as much as we did get into him about how he flipped and gave away the freeze and such, we still got to be there for him, which we were a lot more this week. And as the game progressed, I thought his tap work really come on in leaps and bounds as well. So in that first quarter, we were kicking towards what ended up being the scoring end. It was a very windy night. It was very swirly apparently, but there was a definite end that the wind favored and we were kicking to it in the first quarter. And our, as I say, our forward pressure was up to where it needed to be, as it always needs to be. And it was allowing us to get repeat entries and the pressure was so great that they eventually deliberately rushed the ball because obviously they weren't thinking straight, under pressure, all of that. And we got a goal. Brilliant. It's what you love to see. But also in that first quarter, I remember the commentators commenting, funny that they do that, on that it looked as though but he had a limp and it was somewhat evident. And it's come out from the club today, but I've just read previously to recording this, that he took a knee knock throughout the game and will not play next week against the Tigers. He hasn't even trained this week yet, so they say he won't play this week. Let's wait and see if this turns out to be one or two or possibly even three. Who knows how bad of a knee knock it is, how long it will take his recovery, 
The fact that he won't be able to train because of his knee knock, will that take time to build back up match fitness? Time will tell. Back to the game. As I say, we're dominating that first quarter with 62% of the game being played in our attacking half. And we had 19 inside 50s to their seven. But up until late in that quarter, we'd only scored two goals two. And we finally got reward for effort, with which was a trademark goal from Warner, which happened to be his first of the year, mind you. Where he just ran onto a nice loopy handball, hitting the 50 at speed and just launching. And it went through about halfway through the post, halfway up the post, I should say. But yeah, it's funny to, to think that that's his first for the year. But in saying that, he's had 25 score involvements for the year, which is the seventh most for the competition. So it's a very well-rounded attacking game. The fact that he's only kicked one makes me think because the team as a whole has been inaccurate, that may play a huge part to why this has been his first. Hopefully that's out of the system. We start seeing goals week on, week out from Chad, the Chad. But yeah, he was definitely back to his brilliant best. With those two fantastic goals, he had 30 touches, 19 of them contested, five tackles, nine clearances, five of which were center clearances, a huge 543 meters gained. And what I noticed, which is a great stat I like to look at, was his ground ball gets. He had 17 of them, which was by far and which was by far and above the most of anyone on the ground. And as the game played out throughout the second quarter, it still looked as though we were controlling the game through momentum. Even though it was tough conditions, we were able to use that kicking game to control possession. We were up uncontested possessions, 23 to seven. But we were still getting in and getting hard ball. Like we were winning the contested ball even halfway through that second quarter, 38 to 21. But in the back end of that second quarter, Port came on and they ended up kicking three in a row after they'd lifted their intensity for like a 10 minute block there where they ended up being up by eight contested possessions, which is a huge difference considering, as I say, we were 38 to 21. So for a 10 minute block at the back end of that second quarter, they really lifted, hit the scoreboard, and that just leveled the game right back out, unfortunately. So that takes us in the halftime. And at halftime, as I do, I like to look at stats. And Lloyd, he was fantastic. He'd had 11 disposals at 100% disposal efficiency. Four score involvements, six marks, five intercept possessions, which three of them happened to be intercept marks. He went on to have eight intercept... He went on to have eight intercept possessions for the game. He went on to have 24 disposals at 88% disposal efficiency. And of those 24 disposals, interestingly enough, they were evenly spread 50-50 between the defensive half of the ground and the forward half of the ground. And a lot of them were out on the wings, in fact. So that's something I'll be keeping an eye on. Is that a role change? Is that just him having built a tank, possibly, to allow him to run further up the ground? And maybe that's where he started hit, hit the scoreboard the other week. 
Be nice to see a bit more of that. But also going through his stats, I noticed that he had seven turnovers. But this is the thing, that with the statistics, I'm going to have to do a bit of homework because there's, there's turnovers and there's clangers. And there's a different interpretation between what is considered what. So I will get back to you on that one. But yes, he had seven turnovers, but he had no clangers. But he wasn't alone when it came to turnovers. I don't know, like, as I say, they said it was a swirly night, but our field kicking was horrible. There was times when there would be a man free and would kick it to his opposition who might have been 10 metres away from them. And it was guys that are normally good kicks. Uh, you had Ollie with seven turnovers, and you even had Errol with six turnovers. And that's where turnovers and clangers will have to go away because when they go back to clangers, it was Warner and Paps with the most with six clangers. But turnovers, clangers, whatever you want to call them, it's not what we want to see when we have the ball. So yeah, they ended up using that scoring end to their advantage to get right back into the game, which was unfortunate considering that we had controlled the game for most of that second part of that second quarter. But then it was our turn, and we didn't make the most of our dominance. We only scored at 28% from our inside 50s, compared to Port, who was going to the non-scoring end, who was going at 50%. And surprisingly, we're one of only two teams for the season to score from 50% from our inside 50s for the first three rounds. But with statistics, they can lie to you sometimes. I think that stat has got to be slanted when we go back to the Gold Coast game where there was an instance where there was nine goals scored from 15 entries at one stage. That is well and above what can be expected at any stage throughout the year. So I'm going to be watching that forward entry percentage statistic because our forward entries are our massive downfall at the moment. It was so frustrating that at one stage there, we were coming down the ground looking for options, holding the ball, nothing there. And you could hear the crowd getting frustrated and screaming because there was an obvious option, like 40 out, nobody near them. I don't know if the noise alerted the person to the option, but they eventually found it. But then when they did find it, they lobbed the ball and just, it was almost like a, hops, a hospital pass. It just floated and took forever to get there, which, uh, which allowed, I believe it was Aaliyah, to run off his man and just punch the thing away. Frustrating, so frustrating. And that was the story of that third quarter. It was extremely frustrating. It was the scoring end. We were controlling the ball like crazy, and yet we hadn't scored a goal for 45 minutes, even though we were up on the inside 50s, 17 to 15. We were getting outscored by five goals. Finally, we scored one, and it came from a kick-in, which is something that the Swans did. I love normally being able to just sit back and watch the ball move methodically up the ground until we end up getting that goal. But this was only the second time we had scored a goal from a kick-in for the year. Again, that seemed to be the story of the night, being able to move the ball, possess the ball, but then when it came to the forward entry, just wasn't happening. Bombing the ball long, unable to take a mark inside 50, and not even 
able to bring the ground when the ball did go inside 50. And by being unable to bring the ball to the ground, it didn't allow us to use our trademark forward pressure to get a turnover and then hit the scoreboard. Like an instance, well, a statistic that highlights that is the forward 50 tackles, which we only recorded seven. They recorded 24. And of those seven, Rowie had two of them, which was equal highest with Paps, and even Lloyd had one, which is not great. And once again, bombing it long when you're playing against... is never great football to begin with. But when you're playing against a great intercept-marking football team, such as Port Adelaide such as Melbourne last week, you cannot afford the bomb in the ball on your forwards' heads. But we had 67 forward entries, and we only had nine marks inside 50. So they outmarked us from our forward entries again, which is horrible. And the thing is, of those nine marks inside 50, three of them were the Papley. So that's not coming from these long bombs anyway. The big men, Logan only took the one, which was from a lead. Bud took one. I can't recall. I assume it was probably on a lead. Amadi and Laddams took zero. You gotta go away. You gotta look at this. I'm sure they're already looking at it. So I don't know if it's an in the moment of the game thing, but either way, it's gotta be changed for us to go forward. It's just gotta be. And we're just so wasteful again. We're just turning the ball over left, right and centre. And when we did have a shot on goal, halfway through that last quarter, we had kicked eight goals, ten from shots on goal. And seven of them just missed completely, either out of bounds on the full or not making the distance. That is a conversion rate that just needs to change if we are going to change. And again, much like last week, we were... Did we run out of petrol tickets? Last week it was after the slow start, chasing tail, and they ran over the top of us. This week we were a man down, highly contested again. And in that last, they had nine inside 50s, and 98% of the play in a 10 minute block was in their forward half. They eventually hit the lead, and I thought, this is it. We've let this one slip. And then Blakey got that 50 metre penalty. And if I want someone having a set shot for goal out of the whole team, I'm still picking Blakey. The man, when he played as a forward, when he first came into the team, had me, had me absolutely salivating over his set shot routine and his kicking action. If he can... Get up forward with his run. I'd love to see him getting the ball more in his hand than having sets on, set shots on goal. But now with the two McCardens out, that's going to be highly unlikely. Possibly something down the line. He's just such a great kick. I'd like to see us use that more in an attacking sense as well. So yeah, Rampy. So yeah, Lizard gets that 50 metres. Drills it from 45, we hit the lead. There was tick under three minutes to go. And it was gonna come down to, can we hold on? 
can this be another classic Swans victory? Built on the back of Blood's tenacity, undersized, undermanned, fighting till the death, and then it was the straw that broke Rampy's back. Oh, it hurts so bad to see him outmarked like that. Up until that stage of the game, they'd tried to take advantage of that undersized nature of ours to the point where Rampy was in, at that stage of the game, 11 one-on-one -on -one marking contests. The next highest for the game was four, and they'd lost one. At that stage of the game, as I say, Rampy had had 11 and only lost two. So to see him outmarked like that, and not long before that, they'd given away that bloody free kick when it was clearly just body walk, work into the side of the man. Oh, it hurts to see. Oh, Rampy just gave absolutely everything, as he always does, but just that game. You gotta take your hat off to the man. He just fought and fought and fought. And it wasn't just in the contest for, like, marking contests or spoiling, which he had 10 for the game, a game high, mind you. But it was also when he had the ball in hand, his composure and finding that option. Ice in his veins. People talk about ice in your veins in front of goal. Ice in your veins in the back line under pressure all night long, and he was just finding that option. It was brilliant. But was not to be. And he went back and he slotted it. And I thought, game over, game over. But then was there one more sparkle of magic? We worked the ball from the back line. We, we just couldn't afford to even turn it over. Not once. It had to be clean. We got it up there. And the man to get it to was Ollie. We got it to him. The man who had played probably his best game for his career. With 33 disposals, eight of them contested. And interestingly enough to see, it was all over the ground, these possessions. It was 72% in the defensive half and 28% in the forward half. But also, a lot of the ball was out on the wing or in the centre of the ground. He also had nine intercept possessions, six marks, and a massive 890 metres gain. And interestingly enough, I'd have to go back and check and see if this is something that's happened previously. I'm not thinking to this extent, but he also had four kick-ins. He played oh, fantastic. And I would have, we all saw the celebration. How good it would have been if that's how it played out. It just was so well deserved on the back of all their hard work. Yes, they wasted it away, but they were so up against it. We're losing those two key defenders. But speaking of key defenders, I'm not saying we would have been able to shepherd the ball through, but you know how long's left. You know he's having a set shot at the end of a game on heavy legs into a strong wind. It's going to have to take an absolutely beautiful kick to even clear the goal square, for crying out loud. And what are they going to try and do? They're going to try and get a run and a jump and punch it away. And who was left to have a clear run and jump other than Aaliyah Aaliyah? The one man you do not want to allow a run and jump. And also, Cameron, Cameron Dixon was also by his side, which is just crazy to me. When you set up 
These are two guys you're just going to have to put a body on. It doesn't even have to be the direct opponent. It can be someone, one of the many. I counted at least five blokes that were standing around inside 50-meter arc just spectating. You've got to have game awareness. And this is, isn't just about that moment. It's about having that game awareness. That comes back to structures throughout the game. Um, what stage of the game is at and what structures are required for what stage the game is at. And for the game to be on the line like that and let those two men have a free run and jump, just craziness. But talking about Dixon, and this also comes back to Rampy because Dixon, I believe, second only to Jeremy Cameron for marks inside 50. And he's only one off of Cameron. And if you've seen Cameron this year, people are putting his form down to as the best player in the competition. We were both McCartans down and Cameron did not have one single mark inside 50. And that's, I'm putting back, I'm giving that the rampy. 10 spoils, 12 one-on-one contests and only lost to three of them. Again, it just kills me. But speaking on the McCartans, I'm not going to speak too much on Paddy, as I'm most definitely not a doctor. My opinion on a lot of the commentary coming out is people, they're saying people need to step in and do this and do that. No one's going to go against any doctor's wishes, be it the individual, be it the club, be it the league. He's jumped through every hoop imaginable to be able to play and he'll have to jump through every hoop imaginable again to play. He said all along that if there's any information coming back to him that this will be a detriment to his long term or anything along those lines, he'll just retire. He said that before he even started playing back the first time round. So we sit back, we wait. What will be will be. It will be so sad, but you got to look at two sides of the coin. He did come back. He played a year of football with his brother all the way to a grand final. Now, the two guys are going to be down. You miss two weeks through missing with concussion. And when you get to the selection table, you're automatically looking at Gould and Francis. Francis was a very high pick in his year, and he's a great mark but I have heard them mention that he is not quite up to speed on the structures of the team back line. And if you're a man who is not, as anyone that's coming in now, not in our back six, you're not going to be of the level that you can get just through on skill alone. It's going to have to be a team effort. And that's why I'm looking at Gould, because He's been in and around the team for longer. He knows the structures. And as far as the pressure on this kid, it's just ridiculous. From day one, everyone's built him into this figure and just think he's going to be the saviour. And now that you've got these two guys down, they're going to be looking at him again. He's just a kid and he's trying to do his thing. Even if he comes out on the weekend, he's going to make mistakes. Just like everyone. Everyone makes mistakes. So don't just go the kid. I just really hope he gets out there, does what he does best, 
kill the contest, be composed, be a big body. I'm backing Ian Gouldy. I'm backing us in to pick him, and I'm backing him to do his job. So, but it does still come down to Gould or Francis, and it could go either way. Francis played one week up forward in the VFL, but that was more so that we were so undersized up forward with McLean, Logan and Amadi all playing in the seniors. He's been down back ever since, I believe. And we had the bye this week, so it's really hard because you can't see for yourself how they performed. I don't think we even got any information of how if they had an intra-club or anything like that as such. But while talking about selections, I did read that Clark is now available to be selected. Uh, as we touched on, Buddy's got a knee knock. He will not be playing. They haven't said how long it'll be, just that he's not playing and he's not training. And unfortunately, another one is Sam Reed. I just finished reading that he's had a mishap during his rehab something to do with hamstring tendons and he will not be running, even running for four weeks and they don't expect him to be back until after the bye. The other two that I'm really looking, watching their progress through their rehab, uh, as I'm sure a lot of people are, Constanti and Hickey. Hickey, they actually said, is one to two weeks away and will be regaining, rejoining the team for training. And Constanti has been training, sorry, will be training this week and look to have him back in two weeks. And I think that he's the type of guy that we will play that one or two weeks in the VFL, let him get his touch, let him get his feel and get him straight in. Because if we're only having seven, whatever it was, nine tackles inside 50, this man is a tackling, mach ah, tackling machine inside 50. And it was quite noticeable. It's what we missed inside 50 with the talls, is having those smalls. Like Papley was lively as anything, but he needs help. I think Wicks is eight weeks away or something of the like. Sheldrick can chip out, but he's not like a specialist small forward in the mould that a Constante is. So I'm really excited to watch this kid come back. Richmond's had a few injuries, as I think, was it Naismith and Lynch, two big men. So that does even things back out for us, thank God. But as we saw against Melbourne, teams, when they have players out, it can galvanise them. It, this is a massive game. Absolutely massive. Can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to cheer them on. So come on, everyone. I'll see you all out there in the socials. Cheer, cheer.